If you love this podcast and love easy and informative CEUs, then this is the deal for you. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of pod courses on demand with an average of 19 new pod courses released each month. You can get ASHA continuing ed credit for every episode you listen to. And because I think you're terrific, I can offer $20 off a year's subscription when you use my code SUP20 for the insanely low rate of $59. What a delight to host Jason Hall on the Speech Uncensored podcast this week. Um, Yeah, like seriously, guys, what a treasure. (laughs) Jason is just such a joy. So he's on our podcast today to talk about becoming the speaker's mechanic and finding his niche in voice therapy in the speech and language pathology world. Um, It's a really exciting talk about how he's transitioned into private practice and consultant work and what that looks like for the SLP in corporate settings. Um, We're talking about, you know, what are some of the differences between clinician and a consultant in these roles? And then um, Jason talks about resources to get started down that path. So it's pretty cool. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. My name is Leanne Porter. I'm your host, and this is the Speech Uncensored Podcast. All right. Welcome, Jason Hall. It's so good to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Leanne. I'm doing great. I'm super excited about being here with you and spending time and sharing this space to talk. Yeah, awesome. I am really thrilled about our topic today. I'm so looking forward to learning about your journey through the medical speech and language pathology career path and how you have found your niche as the speaker's mechanic. And I can't wait to get all into that and learn more. So tell me, who are you? What are you doing? What's going on? Tell me all the things. Okay. I am Jason Hall. I am the speaker's mechanic. That's kind of my handle. Uh, I don't know how many people like name themselves, but that's kind of what I've been calling myself lately because of my journey that I've been going through. So I'm Jason Hall. I currently live in Memphis, Tennessee, a father of two beautiful children, um, Landon and Layla. I am a medical speech pathologist who was actually doing his best to uh, juice his entre- my entrepreneurial way through uh, a path of, of being becoming a consultant and we'll dig into that a little bit more as we go forward been doing this for about 15 years now and just loving loving medical speech pathology awesome okay well tell me a little bit about what got you into the field i love hearing people's journey like you know i didn't know this was a job until my mom was like hey leanne you should be a speech pathologist and i'm like what's that <laughs> so tell me your journey my journey is pretty interesting. So it started when I was in college. I'm actually a psychology major with a uh, kind of a dual major in Spanish. So I speak Spanish too. So the story is from Michigan originally, although I live in Memphis, when I, I went home for a summer where I worked for a rehab agency for kids, and I was actually a, a rehab kind of counselor for the kids that we had. And these children were like medical, they had a lot of medical needs and, and things of that nature. Well, one of my children, they actually had, that I cared for, I was caring for a particular day, actually had an appointment 
to go do a swallow test. So I was like in charge of kind of getting him up and getting him ready, getting him on the van, meeting with the speech therapist. Cause all at that point I knew of speech therapy is the fact that, you know, they grab these kids out of class and it's like, why, who are these ladies uh, just kidnapping some of my friends and taking them to other places? Anyway, so that's kind of all I knew at that point. Anyway, so to make a long story short, as I'm taking this one kid to the hospital with the speech therapist, and I'm just like, so what? Do, why are they taking a swallow test? And and they're not. I knew he had a peg tube, and he was a J tube, I think it was at that time. And you know, he's not even eating. And they said, that's my point exactly. I'm like, what's your point? <laughs> and they said, well, we want to see if he can swallow. And I said, so this, and they said this test, they called it an MBS or modified barium swallow study. And they said, you know, this could be life or death for him. And I said, so you're deciding life or death or, or is the doctor? And they said, no, we, we totally have our expertise in figuring this thing out for this child. And that to me was just like a, a light bulb switch. I said, someone other than a doctor has, has, can like kind of help someone with this kind of life or death decision when it comes to aspiration for those um, who are not really keen and understanding what aspiration is the liquid and food could go the wrong way and things could develop and it can go really wrong um, if this test is not done so that just started the juices going towards kind of figuring out what this field was all about um, long story short sooner or later after I graduated from college as a psychology major. I knew I didn't want to do psychology, so speech therapy just kind of fell in my lap. And it was kind of funny because I was going through my, my graduate program. I knew I didn't want to work in the school systems. And as you well know, they're like school-based classes that we need to have. And I remember telling my advisor, which was like the chair of the whole entire department at Tennessee State University, that's where I went to, TSU, and just going up after taking the first hour of the first school-based class, I said, I don't want to do this. And she said, but you have to. And I remember looking at my credits. I don't know how, but I had enough credit to do my master's program without doing this specific class. And she said, how do you know you don't want to? I said, I just know that I don't want to do work in the school system. So she said, go do the whole class for this day and then come back afterwards. I did the whole class for that day. You know, it's about a three-hour course for a master's program. And then I went back upstairs and said, nope, I want to do medical speech path. So here I am. So tell me about what different types of settings have you worked in? I worked in a lot. I've worked in a lot. The the gradual progression, and it's like, I remember working in the MR population um, when I first started out and progressing to more subacute. And I thought I wanted to just stay in subacute care. That's where I found a lot of my MBS studies I was doing, because I love to do those. Before then, I just kind of backing up a little bit, I did my CFY in Nashville, in Nashville, at the VA in Nashville. And if you know anything about the VA in Nashville, it's probably one of the better VAs in this region. Like people come from like different states to go to the VA in Nashville a lot of times. And so I cut my teeth on modifieds, on trachs and electrolarynx, everything, fees, all things included meds. It's like the oasis of a medical speech pathologist. It's like a drink. So I loved it there. I spent my CF, I did practicum there. So fast forwarding to, I did my, you know, after I graduated, 
uh, my first setting was a subacute here. I still was doing modifies and things of that nature. Just loved it. Stayed there for about three years until I, I was kind of getting burned out. And just just the system there was a lot of turnover where I was, and I couldn't necessarily stick. Well, I couldn't say I, I shouldn't say I couldn't stick. It was a job for two people, mm-hmm. and I was kind of the only one that was constant. So I was getting kind of burnt out with the PRNs and then individuals who just couldn't or just didn't necessarily like stay there with consistency. So from there, I did skilled nursing, probably more of a rehab, like nursing care facility for, I don't know, probably six to eight years or so. And then right after that, I found myself now in home care. That's what I do primarily full time. So it's been a journey. Uh, there are a lot of details, but I just uh, I can I can stay in the details if you want me to. But um, that's kind of like the overview. That was good. No, that was excellent. That kind of gives me a picture of all the different settings, all the different populations within that setting that you've worked with, and that really, you know, we're setting the stage for your transition from that clinician model of using our license to this more consultative model, and so. Mm-hmm. It kind of just paints that picture of where you're getting that experience and how it's applying now to like what you're transitioning into. Definitely. Okay, so you're working full time in home health right now, but you also have a private practice. Right. I and do. that private practice is the speaker's mechanic. Exactly. Okay, so like what prompted this desire to create your private practice? Like what was the, I don't know, spark there? Yeah. No. That's- Good word. Um, It's definitely a a spark. You know, as I told you about my journey of just being a clinician, um, a lot of times, maybe for me personally, I, for some reason, in my first 10 years or so, this is going to be weird. Maybe it's weird just to me, or maybe someone else can like really kind of vibe with it. My first several years, 10 plus years, Leanne, for some reason, I wanted to separate what I did from who I was. And I'm not sure if anyone who's listening has experienced anything like that. But for me, I wanted to be Jason. And when I went to work, like speech therapy is kind of what I did. I didn't like, I wasn't that speech therapist who wanted to talk shop after work. Because I had friends who were speech therapists and I didn't want to, when I saw them, or talk to them on the phone or whatever, talk about, like, I want to know that they were human and they had lives and they had children and they had like vacations and things of that nature. So for some reason, I wanted to keep those two separate. When work, when I was at work, work was work. And when I was home, home was home. And for a long time, I kept those two things in two separate compartments. But as the years went on, I learned something about the superhero effect. Now, the superhero effect is something that, um, of course, we see a lot in in today's day and age with Marvel and 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 uh, DC Comics and I don't know Superman. I I learned that going through that journey, that it wasn't in my best benefit, and not just mine, probably more in those who I know, and love, and even serve that it's a I was doing them a disjustice. I kind of felt like in a way I'm Clark Kent and I'm never changing I'm never changing into Superman to help anybody 
who needs it, even if it's just information that I'm giving to someone when I'm not working, because that can still help, even if I'm not clocking in for a nine to five. So I understood that being a speech therapist is kind of a superpower. And I also learned probably more so that even in today's day and age, Leanne, like people don't know who we are. Like they don't, when I say they don't know who we are, it's like, it, it became baffling to me like in 2020, 2019, when I made this kind of transition, why don't people, when, you, when, when we approach a family or we approach a patient, or maybe we talk to a friend who's not necessarily in the field that we're in, medical field or what, what have you, and we tell them what we do, they still, they still need a little bit more information and sometimes a lot more information. And that to, to me became frustrating. It's like, how can we be here where we are this far advanced in, in our profession and career and many people don't know what we do. So it was then that I chose to change my, like, for example, my social media platform from just Jason Hall and all things live, definitely um, with some coaching, kind of career coaching, I just got counseled, like, I'm going to become Jason Hall, the speaker's mechanic. And because I have a message and there's people out there who need my help and need my assistance, and they need to know about who I am, not just who I am, but what we do, what I do. And it's almost me, in a way, getting fed up. Like, it's time for people to know who we are. One of the things when it comes to, like, so, for example, my platform and what I do, especially on uh, social media or IG, is is making sure like I am not being the average clinician. If you can kind of understand me with that concept, Leanne, it's just like a lot of times as speech therapists, we become very, what's the word? What's the word? We become very insular. Mm. And we talk a lot of shop talk amongst ourselves. Just kind of like what I told you in the beginning of the of the, my journey. I just felt like when we see each other, we don't, I don't, we don't necessarily say how's life. It's just like, did you read that article? Or yeah, I get it. And I almost, and I almost loathe that. Like, why can't we just be human? <laughs> why can't we just have, at the, we talk a lot of shop talk m amongst ourselves. And it's just like, and we are not, we don't share in an easy way to just the general population about what we do, because we use the language of speech, but speech pathologist and we use that shop talk language that is kind of you know we have a lot of acronyms and all these things um, that we say and do and it's just like you know why like someone who might need our help they might zone out really fast because we have kind of ostracized them or excluded them from even potentially understanding what we're what we're up to just because of our language so one of the things that I wanted to do with my platform and just transitioning to be more of a consultant is just letting people know what I do and like the, the mission of me particularly when it comes to being a speech, a speech pathologist. Okay. It just kind of organically flowed in that way. And one of the things that I, that me particularly, I find fa fascinating is kind of going in the lane of vocal health. So becoming a consultant going through going down that line that path that journey was just like what do i love the most and what do i want to focus on the most so yes and in my consulting and private practice it's not brick and mortar it's more so online consulting um, with individuals 
who need help and assistance with uh, vocal injuries or chronic vocal, uh, you know, dysfunctions that they might be having, soreness, laryngitis, and things of that nature. So earlier when you were talking about, you know, like the general public, people outside of our field may not really understand what SLPs do and the services that we can offer and how we can be useful to them. You're talking about like that because it's kind of like a, a misunderstanding of the language that we're using. So are you talking maybe more specifically about our vocabulary and our terminology? So when we start throwing around all of our medical jargon and terminology that they're not familiar with, like that's where they're getting that disconnect? Right. I feel like it creates like our language. You're right about that. I feel like our language creates a cognitive dissonance. Like a lot of times, and you might see it, I'm not talking about social a lot because that's where I I post a lot of what I do and, and a lot of education. If you look at maybe some you know, some of our colleagues and their pages, it's just, it's, especially in when it comes to, uh, I was going to say, especially, well, especially when it comes to like medical based type practices, like it's very, it's, it's highly clinical. Like our pages can be very much for the other clinician. Like our pages can be, or our, and our, and or our language, it's very, like I said, it's insular. It's like, we're talking amongst ourselves and we're not including I don't, I feel sometimes, or a lot of times, I feel as if we're, we're we have curated ourselves to where um, you and I, as speech language pathologists, can understand what's going on on a page in a conversation, but we don't often let those who might need our help know about what we're doing, understand what we're doing, or translate, if you will, into layman's terms, like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I do. That talk to other people is not off, often translated from how we we often we often have conversations. Definitely amongst ourselves. I just feel we kind of talk shop a lot. Yeah. We don't that that other portion to let other people know exactly what we do and how we do it and how we can help creates some cognitive dissonance. And especially in the in the realm of voice, I really believe that speech therapists are are under valued, if you will, because a lot of people are quote unquote vocal coaches and they have no speech pathology background, but they do the very same things that real speech pathologists who actually has the schooling to actually do. Now it's viable because they actually help people, but it's just like, that's our space as well. Mm. And the thing is like, people don't know that, but they'll, you know, they'll call someone who's struggling with voice might call up a vocal coach who's not a speech pathologist before they would call a speech pathologist because they don't know what we do because we mm-hmm. talk amongst ourselves. That's kind of mm-hmm. kind of the point I'm driving at. And I kind of wanted to just be different in that lane. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about who in my life outside of this field. So, you know, people who don't interact in the speech world. Okay. How much do they know about what I do? Like, I think of my parents, God bless them. Like, <laughs> they know I have a career that makes them happy. Oh, Leanne's got direction in life. Yay, she's a speaking language pathologist. My mother knows what they do in the school system because that was her zone and that was her experience with them. But I don't work in that setting. So how much does she know about what I can do for a voice patient, for a patient after a concussion? 
they have some understanding of what we can do with stroke patients. Oh, you helped them talk because the stroke affected how they talk. Right. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's yeah. such a very shallow knowledge base. And we as SLPs often get to venting about how little people know about what we do. But why don't we start learning how to tell the people in our social circles first? Like we're the first line of defense. Like do your extended family members and your non-speech friends have a clear understanding of the work that you do? No. Right. How can we change that? That's like, that's a whole nother topic. Like I'm getting like way off. No, but that's, <laughs> that's... the weeds about like advocating for our profession and everything. No, but the, I think that's my, that was my cognitive journey of transitioning from kind of two compartmentalizing mm. speech pathology in my life and saying no i have i have superpowers as a speech therapist you need to know that i'm available for anybody that you know in your life and the thing is i have to make that language it is my job to make that language like palatable and not dress it up how you you know we can do in our field. So I can't present myself as I would present myself if I was going to ASHA to, to my everyday social group, you know what I'm saying? Or even my influencers or if me being an influencer on IG. Just need to know the bare basics. Like I can help you. These are some tips. I don't like saying tips. These are some strategies and some techniques that can help get, that can help your situation, that can help your problem. And we, I just know, or I just believe that we don't do that, do that enough. And that's why there's a lot of shoulders to the air, mm. not saying like, I really don't know what you do. Like I truly have, a, I have some really good friends and we used to tease for the beginning of my, my professional career in speech therapy. They didn't know what I did. And it was just, it was an eye roller. It was just like, really, really bro? Like you don't know what I do for a living? And it's just, that to me was, you know, you, you get over it. And this was like, I know why they don't know what we do. Because we don't, is we're the communicators, but we're not good at communicating to, you know, our social groups, uh, what we do and how we do it, and how we can make a difference, how we can impact in, in good ways. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're still telling that story. Every time we meet a family and we say, you know, we walk into that room and say, I'm the speech therapist and they're fully talking. And they say, why do I need you? I can talk. Yeah. And it's like, uh, then you go into your spill. Right. right. We're a very poorly named profession. We do so much more than speech. <laughs> right. Hence the speaker's mechanic. Hey, just do your best. Yeah. All right. So I'm really fascinated by this dichotomy that we've kind of just touched on briefly so far about the differences between clinician and consultant. You know, when I just say those two words in isolation, but coming from an SLP's perspective and a business perspective and a career perspective, the first thing that pops to my mind is that one, you are getting reimbursed through like insurance for working with disorders, disease processes, things like that. The other one, people would be typically perfectly healthy and they would, it would be more of like a private pay situation. Definitely. I feel like it's so much more than that and it's expanding our services too. I think that it's like barest. It's kind of, that's how you can view clinician versus consultant, but it's a much more complex relationship. And I think to be an effective consultant, you have already been 
an effective clinician. Like those are the skills that you've been honing and developing over the past 15 plus years that now make you like the ideal consultant for transitioning like between those. And it's, I don't want to set it up like it's uh, an either or. You're either a clinician or you're either a consultant. Like it's too intertwined and connected and flowing mm -hmm. between the two worlds. So in your own opinion, Jason, how has your experience as a medical SLP given you the tools that you're drawing on to be a successful consultant? What are, what are some skills that kind of stand out to you? Leanne, that's a, I think that's a beautiful question. I don't think I could come out of grad school uh, year one, two, or three, four, or five and say, I'm going to be a consultant. I think consultant is built on, is, is built on experience, uh, of course, and what you do, uh, the results that you get from that experience. Also, I think it's learning you. Like, mm -hmm. let's, let's, Let's not get it twisted. I think the more we learn not just how to be a better clinician, the more we know ourselves, like that all those things work together to make us a better clinician, even and even a better person. Like I'm learning so much or I have learned so much as a clinician that is as important as it is to have the skills that we have to help individuals to become better after some type of medical trauma or illness or things of that nature, like one of our best qualities is like our human connection is, is having, having the ability to connect with a, with a patient and even their family. And me personally, I don't lead with the idea of I'm going to make you perfect. Mm. Like I see you where you are and I'm going to help make you, I'm going to help to help your progress get better. Like the ceiling, we don't necessarily know your ceiling, but it is my job to encourage you, to support you, and to help educate and train the family to make you the best person where you are today. And we're just going to keep moving and I'm going to give you strategies. And having that true connection that you're not selling them a pie in the sky, but you're selling them like, hey, we're in this together. Mm. And if I give you, if I give you these sound strategies and you're diligent and you're motivated enough to work at these strategies, you will get better. Now, I can't promise you how much, but you will make progress. And hopefully that progress motivates you to make some more progress. And if I drop dead tomorrow, I've given you the tools and the strategy to continue to do this thing. I don't want you to rely on one therapist or one particular maneuver or, or, or modality to work on. I want you to know that it's gonna take some grit. It's gonna take some work on your part. And I hope that your family is not isolating you and thinking that you're going to do it together. You got me talking now, but uh, these are going. But, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> but, the, but these are cute. These are qualities that I've taken in seeing my patients and working with my patients over this time and experience that just as a pure clinician, as you do these, as I started to do these things and really connect like that, those are those. Are, and, and you get feedback from the patient and or family and they, and, they really, they really say, you know what, you got a card or, or, <laughs> you know what, I really, I really enjoy, like, no one's ever explained that to me the way you have. And I don't, the doctor never told me or, yeah, I had speech therapy before, but it never really worked out this way or I never, and, and you take those, those nuggets and you say, like, I can make a difference. 
like I can make a difference and I can share this connection in another space. And that space is for me consulting, or I figure that out, that it could be uh, more of a a consulting lane, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've scratched my head. How come I don't want brick and mortar? I think the consultant is, can be, or maybe it's just me, undervalued in what, and what they're able to offer. And you're right. It's not always that clinical thing aspect that someone needs. It's a top down comprehensive understanding of what's going on with their mechanism or, or, and also what's going on in their, uh, in their like social environment and what's going on with their emotions. And like, and we're that stuff that Leanne, we're not taught in school to actually make a difference. And I think that helps to shape and round the 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 cutting edge consultant to help to make differences in people's lives. So that to me just started clicking once I stopped compartmentalizing what I do for a living and saying, yo, I'm I'm Clark Kent and I want to let my cape out yeah. and let the people know that I can help. I love it. That is such a good perspective. And I totally agree that as we work as clinicians, we, by virtue of the experience, because like you said, we're not necessarily in all of our programs taught how to build those relationships with our patients and with our clients. Um, That's something that we learn as we go along. And building that therapeutic alliance is key, right? Because we know they need to trust us and we need to trust them to really make maximal gains and really get this ball rolling. That skill is what makes a very effective consultant, I would think, one of the many skills, right? Definitely, definitely. And that's what we have as a leg up when we start off as clinicians and we build that and we hone that therapeutic alliance skill down to like perfection almost, right? Right, right, right. That's almost like a secret superpower. It's like, I can build that for like nobody's business. Just stop and watch this. Like, <laughs> like, sometimes I think it's just me. Like that rapport building and that connection, like it's a skill. It's, it's, a, it's such a skill. Like, and I have honed it in. And I remember just in my, the beginnings of my beginning stages of being a clinician, that was a hurdle for me mm-hmm. that I secretly struggled with Mm-hmm. Um, just to let them know that I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. Like you, sometimes you have to almost, con- you know, really convince family and even the patient that you're there, that you can make a difference in, in what, in what they've actually suffered from. Now I'm, and it's, it's not, it's, I am just confident and I'm just so confident in my rapport building skills that even if they didn't, even if I didn't want therapy, they would end up <laughs> doing therapy. <laughs> Oh, and definitely with them, like, I can't not not convince somebody who even leads minimal therapy, like, that I can help them with therapy. Like, it's, I can't turn it off. And there is that connection. Rarely do I, rarely do I find a patient in their family that I don't connect with. It could just be a totally, totally off the wall situation. And I'm finding a way to figure out these are just humans and they know that I'm a human too. And that I'm here to help. And that at the end of the day, that's the that's what matters the most. That's the um, key. When they realize you're on their side and you want to support them and help them, they're like, oh, okay. And then it's like game on. Like let's right. get rolling. And that's that's something that you're not taught. You're right. That's something you have to be in tune with. 
and develop, be willing and open to develop and, um, you know, kind of deal with your own biases. So off the top of your head, Jason, how is a consultant style private practice different from a traditional clinical style private practice for SLPs? I like how you said that. So this might be, this might, might not be fun for maybe like Asha, Asha loyalists. I just know, like I alluded to earlier, like there are people who are in our space and, and I say our, like we own it, but we need to walk in the space like we own it, who call themselves vocal coaches and they don't know what we know, especially the science-based background. And they command a very high dollar that has nothing to do with Medicare because they can help someone's situation. Guess who else can help other people's situation? We do. And who else in the most ethical way with all our ethical background and experience who can come into their situation and make them better and get paid for it? Like there's a lot, there's a lot of things that we kind of get taxed on for becoming the professionals, for becoming the clinician, for becoming, for, go, you know, being under a certain type of umbrella, if you will, of governorship. And that's fine. And it's okay to be governed because we need our laws and rules and regulations. But there is a there is an, another demographic of people who who doesn't necessarily know how to get in touch with us because they maybe medically, like I said, we're just not as known. We're not the go-to, like we're not the profession that says, hey, I need a speech therapist I, or I need a speech pathologist to help me with even with something that is very much speech related. So knowing that that is a that is definitely a space where vocal coaches with no training of speech pathology hangs out, like that's also our space too. And they don't have to go through uh, what is Medicare or what we know it as the system of um, insurance fee pay. They just, they provide a service just like many other service-based businesses and they say, I can help you with that. I, I know, and here's my, here's my clinical experience, but I can help you with that. And mm -hmm. I'm here to help you if you're willing. And that's the consultant model for me. And it's not, it's not the, your norm, because I do most of my, most of my, uh, my work on, it's online, kind of a telepractice, but it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not set up in the same model where Medicare is involved or insurance either. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that consulting. It extends beyond a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe like coaching style as well. It could be for a company. You could be a consultant for a company that wants to hire you to work with certain employees on certain things. What can you tell me about that model? Like how are SLPs able to enter that that sphere and have an influence. So I love I love being a speech a speech pathologist because as you well know and those who are listening, there is a huge umbrella of under the huge umbrella things that we do. They're just there's almost careers in each one of those different um, kind of modalities. I think there are nine of them total that we can kind of lanes that we can kind of really specialize in. And I'm learning daily about our profession and recently i've come across i've come across a organization called corespan and it is for and maybe some people are hearing this for the first time it is for corporate speech language pathologists basically what you alluded to 
a corporate speech language pathologist is someone who does go into uh, corporate America, businesses, enterprises, and they help with basically all things communication. A speech pathologist who chooses to focus in that area can work can work with individuals who are presenting. And if they're presenting a lot or talking a lot, they can do maybe a vocal wellness seminar or presentation for individuals who are just talking every day and they're, they're finding themselves with hoarseness or some type of uh, chronic laryngitis or just a strain because maybe they're talking in hollow, hollow, um, you know, they're talking in hollow rooms without with a lot of space and not great acoustics or they're having strain and stress. So I can go and you can go and work with that, or you can just kind of go work with uh, individuals in the corporate space one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe they're doing, um, they're very vital to their, their company and they're doing a presentations and they need to understand ways to communicate effectively if you're gonna present to individuals on a small scale and even on a large scale. I um, mean, these corporate speech language pathologists, they go and they help and they give you know, whether it's presentations or one-on-one -on -one coaching or just kind of a group setting to where you're kind of helping individuals and the company at large understand how to do those things better. There's also communication style. Sometimes I call myself a communication stylist, going into that space and also helping like leaders uh, learn to communicate with those who are employees. Sometimes our language and our tones um, are not often good and some of the wordings that the language you know wordings that we use to individuals can be off-putting and it can be less supportive and if you're trying to be a, an effective leader or a good servant leader I love the word servant leader mm -hmm. you're you you're leading with those words um, with you're leading with language that is that is conducive for helping your your work environment or your enterprise or your business just be the most effective communicator to where good and positive language is supported and just educating individuals on how to be um, excellent communicators. Also knowing the audience who you're speaking with. So it can go on and on, but depending on what the business or the enterprise wants, you could be there for them and be contracted with them to provide information on how to be, how to communicate effectively. So. Yeah, accent reduction is so much. We can be here for days. <laughs> but listen, I, I, let me tell you, I really love that space. And as a consultant, I'm looking forward to be more in that space. If I'm honest, I haven't gotten my, my true footing. I'm growing. I'm, I'm spreading my entrepreneurial wings. It actually started just last year of wanting to be a, um, wanting to commit to being Jason Hall, the speaker's mechanic. And I, I have a few clients and I do have done uh, many um, Skype and Zoom calls where I'm seeing one-on-one -on -one as an individual, but definitely uh, I wanna venture out more in the space of, of business, being contracted to come in and, and do different types of seminars to talk and, and learn about communication, vocal wealth in that, mm -hmm. in that space. But I love it, I just, it fascinates me. It really, oh, it, it, it really yeah. fascinates me. My, my main hope for our talk, well, actually one of the many, is that we're just wetting people's appetite, is that they're getting exposed to this idea and this concept and getting excited by it and being like, look at how much is the potential that we have in this career to do all different types of things. Sometimes we can feel like locked into this 
clinical model of working for a company. And then we're like, oh, well, you could work for yourself and like private practice, but we're still kind of sort of locked into this reimbursement model and these insurance rules and regulations. But we can expand beyond that too and take our really unique and hard fought for experience yeah. in education and basic yeah. in science and physiology and apply that in really amazing areas. And that could be really thrilling. That could be like the next wave of our profession is. No, you're so right. Like that background that we learn with, like you said, anatomy, physiology, the science that when you bring that, when we bring that extra like knowledge base to our clients, um, you, you, you notice that says clients. When you're doing consultant, you have consultant work, you have clients. When you're in the medical space, you have patients. And I, I sometimes have to bounce between those two semantics. But when you're bringing that level of information to those who you serve, it really it can really light up their their light up their their face to see like, oh, it helps them see another perspective and it gives them insight and it can even be inspirational, encouraging, so that they can get better or that they strive to get better and you can kind of help that you're helping them out. And this is, it's, it's really fascinating, especially when you're able to kind of share that with someone. Yeah. I have a, like a funny kind of silly story to share, like illustrate that point is we were having some companies come out to give us bids on having some tree work done. Okay. Like okay. we needed a couple trees taken down and limbs and like all this stuff. Right. So the difference with the folks that came out was the, the insight that they shared and using specific terminology, I was like, oh, this person knows what they're doing. <laughs> this person knows like exactly what type of tree that is and like the health of that tree and what that tree needs versus that other tree over there and what would be the best course of action, not just oh. aesthetically that like I need some right. branches taken down, but right. what the impact that that's gonna have. They showed me their knowledge and their experience in that field and I was like, you're hired, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> So truly and so true um, that just it, it, it kind of it lights me up because as much as I talk about and certain people say, Jason, you're just trying to dumb down what we're doing when you do your IG. And it's just like, no, it's not. It's just like you create when when you when you have an opportunity to get in front of somebody, whether it's on IG or whether it's in front of your client, and you're kind of trying to sell them on what you do. You have some, you have the language that they understand. And then, like you said, once they get, once you get in their door, yes. you wow them and fascinate yeah. them with the wealth of knowledge that you've had from prior, from prior experience and your education. And you're right. They're just like, you know your stuff. Let's, let's have a conversation or I, or I want you. You're so right. Yeah. So amazing. yeah it's, it's definitely like, no, have your script for like what you said, breaking through, having them understand like what the plan is and what you bring to the table. And then once they're like, yeah, cool. Then by all means, dazzle them. <laughs> Use those specific terms, you know? Exactly. Right. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, okay. One last question I had for you was we've talked about what awesome skills we as clinicians hone over the years to apply to being a consultant. What about the other way around? What skills would a consultant need that maybe if we've been working as a clinician, we might not have developed that we should kind of be working on if we want to get into this consulting space? Let me make sure I get, I'm getting your question good. You're, mm -hmm. you're saying if, 
if I'm a clinician and I want to become a consultant, mm -hmm. what are the things I need to do? Is that, is that yeah. the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what skills do I need that I haven't developed by being a rock star clinician? <laughs> <laughs> I think as we, and this is, and this is an, an organic journey too. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think as we, we as clinicians, one of my, one of my professors, when I was in grad school, he often encouraged me and encouraged us as students to kind of throw yourself into the work, throw yourself into what is uncomfortable mm -hmm. when it's, when it comes to your, the client or the patient that you're seeing in front of you. And when you do that on a daily basis, you become vulnerable to whatever, like we as clinicians, we often try and control everything, control the space. And yeah. we, we, we got, we have our pens and we have our papers and we're writing down this and, and we're trying to draw back from what we learned in school. And then we have, maybe we're doing an assessment, the aphasia battery or whatever. And it's just like, those things, those things have their place, but we have to oftentimes consider that there's a human being in front of us. And I'll, I've mentioned human being a lot because we often can sometimes separate those two. And when you, when you often, tr when you try with every encounter to fuse what is science-based and what is human mm -hmm. and also what is practical, I mm -hmm. think you become, those three things is like a, a powder keg of, or combustion, if you will, that really makes the synergy of who you are and what your goal is to do, which is to help that person it, it becomes explosive in the fact that it, you kind of get insight to yourself and you also get insight to that person who you're helping. And those experiences grow over time and it helps you become really consolidated to know who you are and what you excel at. And it helps you with understanding, I think to maybe answer your question in a specific way, understanding how to build rapport like building rapport is one of the most one of the most foremost things you can do as you can do as a clinician on a daily basis you just have to it makes it can make therapy less awkward and if you're trying to get and if you're trying to get results from that patient and have them grow in progress as you're working with them the less awkward treatment is the more impact you can have with your patient and or client. So when you throw yourself into a work or you throw yourself, if you, when I say throw yourself, just really surrender, if you will, um, to where you are and to not knowing everything and things of that nature. Like sometimes we get really scared as clinicians when, especially when we're starting out, like, where do I, I don't know everything. And that's right. And even though maybe you and I have worked in this field a long time, I don't think we should ever say that we know everything or we, uh, or we have cornered the market on it because we change and information changes and, and research changes and we grow and we understand. So here's the thing. I learned this early too. Even if I don't know everything about dysphagia, especially in the beginning, I still know more than that patient and their family. Oh yeah. So I'm there. I have, I have something to offer them. I have something to offer. Even if I don't, even if I never seen a swallow study, I still have something to offer. So 
when we when we don't surrender to that fear and embrace the fact that we're able to help like and to understand that we can add value even though we don't know everything and we know more than our patients and or and or their families like we fall into that and that's the skill that you bring those are the skills that you bring into consultant work because you're going to meet people and even in consultant work that is not the cookie cutter and they have different nuances of who they are as you're trying to help if you're being a consultant you're kind of being a coach kind of mm -hmm. honestly this if you're being a clinician you're also being a coach as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like those two things they're inter those three they're in they intertwine there is a synergy there that you do take from being trying to be your best clinician in every way as a clinician not just the x's and the o's if you will or the 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 data that you're co collecting it's all things and that's what you take over to being a speed therapist so building rapport like laying falling like leaning into the work that you're doing being 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 confident to know that you still you might not know everything about what's going on with that patient but first but you know more than that patient and you also know how to get more information on, on how to help that patient so um just understanding that you don't know everything being vulnerable to that space and saying you know what i can add value because mm -hmm. you're you're in front of me that's awesome so. what a wonderful perspective jason Yes, all those things, absolutely. Um, I love the terms that you're using, like uncomfortable, vulnerable, don't surrender to the fear, all of these things I've been becoming more exposed to and trying to learn to accept and to like make a part of my everyday life. And so also those kinds of words and phrases make me think of Brene Brown. <laughs> you know it, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Listen, listen. I love Brene Brown. I don't know if she ever will listen to this. Like, <laughs> she's like my soul partner. Like, I, I, I just love her. Her work has done so much for me as a person, mm. for me, for me as a clinician. Sometimes we can just fall into this this societal culture and cultural norm in academia, and 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 even being a clinician, like we should know it all, and it's just like. She's taught me to be vulnerable and to say, I don't know it all. And knowing it all, I not knowing it all, I don't have to be shame, I don't have to be subject to your shame mm -hmm. in me. And you're shaming me and not knowing everything because there had to be a moment where they didn't know everything either. It's yep. kind of a it is a, it's a unique perspective to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And it's a work to always march into. But Brene has changed my life. Okay. Um and all in and all in and and in every intent and purpose, whether it's career or whether it's just life, her, that work of, of her embracing and vulnerability and just being okay with what you know and who you are can really help you have a, a level of confidence that you didn't think vulnerability would, br would bring you. It is, it's this beautiful, subtle form of power and empowerment that will take you by surprise. It's because it's so counterintuitive. When we open ourselves up to, to the fear and the uncertainty and the vulnerability, we think, well, it's just going to drag me down, down, down. But suddenly you find yourself rising up and up and up. And you're like, this is incredible. I'm floating now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's, it almost makes me emotional because 
like I don't know maybe it's maybe it's just going through school and how school is set up like we're supposed to be we're supposed to be succeeders we're supposed to be you know we're supposed to uh be successful we're supposed we're supposed to have all these things and when you're missing the mark you just you in a lot of ways you feel like you're not enough you mm-hmm. know and if you think about a lot of our clinicians new clinicians that you talk to there's a lot of fear there, there is a lot of stuff that says i don't what if i mess up or i don't know and it's just like you went through all that school you got all that you've gone through the practice you did your comprehensive comprehensive exams and all this stuff and went through all this stuff and you're just and i get that but it's the thing when someone can help you say it's okay like what do you mean it's okay it's okay to feel that way it's okay that you don't know everything but to understand that you are still learning and it's okay to kind of and it's okay and to have that perspective like at least i know more than the patient who i'm serving and that's everything though mm-hmm. that is everything mm-hmm. yeah you can walk in a level of confidence to be like you're right you're floating because even if you don't know everything about that topic of what that patient is struggling with you know that you left out of there helping them with stuff they never even knew about before that's right and it's just like wow yeah Jason, this has been such a great talk. We've covered so much more than I think either of us planned on touching on this episode, right? But we hope that it is inspiring and helpful and we will link in the show notes to some of these resources that we've discussed in the in today's episode. Yeah, and then we'll answer our questions in the next portion. So Jason, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. Leanne, thanks. Thanks a million for having me. I enjoyed every second of it. Can't wait to do some questions. All right. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Speech Uncensored podcast. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode are posted on speechuncensored.com. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to the hardworking team at SpeechTherapyPD.com for their sweet editing skills and for sponsoring ASHA CEU credit for this episode. And finally, I'd like to leave you with my wish for you to nourish your mind so that your practice can flourish. 